All right, well, good morning. My name is Brian Paget, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Um, bring this up a little bit. <clears throat> if you are new with us, uh, we are celebrating our fourth anniversary as a church in Stillwater. Now, my wife and I and a team of people moved here uh, in May of 2015. And so if you do the math on that, that means we've been here six years. So why are we only celebrating four years? Um, and, and so uh, the first year that we planted uh, was pretty rough. <laughs> and by that summer, uh, so t- summer of 2016, we basically hit reset on everything. We basically replanted our plant one year in. So uh, I'm not a gardener. Uh, I imagine if I were to go out and try to garden right now, it would look like how our church started. I would throw a bunch of stuff out in the dirt and trust that it's going to rain and not do anything else. And, you know, that's not exactly what I did here. But, oh, I got to dig up the seeds and we're going to have to do this all over again. And so basically after our first year, we kind of reset. And so uh, we did. And uh, we kind of said, hey, let's, let's redo this thing. And so we launched uh, Sunday morning. Uh, August 20th of 2017, our first Sunday morning gathering. And with that, we want, we are, our vision statement says we are a church of gospel communities uh, that are committed to knowing Christ and making Christ known at all times and all places among all peoples. And so starting our gospel communities was a big part of us launching as a church. So we started those first. We didn't start with uh, necessarily the Sunday gathering per se. Uh, we wanted to kind of build those up and then from there uh, do our Sunday gathering with that. And, and so we came Sunday morning and we had been growing steadily uh, and then came COVID. And uh, we slowly began to lose folks. Uh, and then this happens every May. Uh, we lost quite a few to graduation, uh, moving away for new work. So if you're the, f- how many of you is your first time at Redeemer? Yeah, it's probably awkward. I probably shouldn't have done that because you know now people are going to probably tag you out for this and go, I'm going to go meet them. Um, we were a mega church before COVID. <laughs> I feel like I can say whatever I want because everybody else can and they're getting away with it. So why not? Uh, thousands upon thousands of people. We were baptizing people most of the time. We didn't get to preach. We were just baptizing people. So yeah, you, it was great, right? Some of y'all remember that. It was crazy, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> that never happened. Anyway, so... Uh, so what, why am I saying all this? So on our fourth anniversary, it would be easy um, to focus and be frustrated and sad about all we've lost. Uh, but I want to do something else. I want to draw our attention to something uh, we often easily miss. Many of those that are not here now, uh, they didn't just move to other churches in town. A lot of our people have moved away, uh, left Stillwater. And they've gone to other places that the Lord has led them. And they're still faithfully serving the Lord in those places. Uh, I don't always get to hear from everyone who leaves our church, uh, but I've often gotten quite a few handwritten notes, emails, text messages, and phone calls over the years thanking Redeemer uh, for how our church has been used by God to help them better understand the fullness of the gospel, how to be a healthy member of a local church, how to view their careers in light of the mission of God, how to be on mission in their new cities, and uh, and et cetera. And and I want to be raw with you here for just a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm a person who's easily discouraged. I always have been through this pandemic. I've wanted to quit and walk away many times. Uh, I've grown weary of insults, being told we don't preach the gospel, accusations of us being too woke uh, or CRT proponents, that we're not liberal or progressive enough, that we're not conservative enough, and on and on. And there's a lot more uh, that I won't say, but trust me when I say uh, I've been very tired and angry and confused and grieved. And now almost every time, 
uh, I have felt like giving up, I've received a random text or phone call or email or letter, and it changed things. And almost every one of them has mentioned how grateful they are for Redeemer. And almost every encouragement I've received, and now from, our, uh, and from both members now and former members who've left Stillwater, uh, I get these as the pastor, but you don't always get them. You don't always hear those stories. Um, and so what I want to do uh, is, is tell you that, uh, one, this is not my church. It's not my church. Like, I, I didn't lay down my life for you. <laughs> so we can be honest about that. This is Jesus' church. We belong to Christ. Uh, we're not the only church in town. There are other people that belong to Christ in this town. And so this isn't my church. And so when people write these things about Redeemer, it's not about me. It's about us. And I want to share that good news with you. I want you to be reminded and hear of the fact that there are people today that are in different cities across this country, and some have gone globally, that are serving the Lord faithfully. And they tell you that because of their time at Redeemer, they learned more about the gospel than they never learned before. They've learned how to apply it. They now understand the value of their job, that there's not just some second-class Christian if they're not on staff at a church, that they actually live on mission in their work. Uh, they, they see that as important to kingdom building, the kingdom of Christ. And that's a testimony to this church. And I want to share that because I know some of you have, have lost some of you have been members here for a while, and you're wondering, when does this revolving door of people leaving stop? <laughs> it's exhausting. But we also live in a college town where half our town just showed back up in the last week. We all, amen, we all felt that? And I love it. It's weird. Every nine months, half our city just leaves. And we're like, oh, we're a 30,000 person city again. And then, boom, they all come back right before the school starts. But that means our church is probably going to reflect that, too. And some of you are hurt and lost by people who've left and gone to other churches here in town. And maybe they said things on the way out and accused you of things even. But I want us to stop. I want us to celebrate what the true shepherd and elder of our church, Jesus Christ, has been doing. We've done this together by the Spirit of God. And so I want to just pause and pray a prayer of thanksgiving for Redeemer Church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this body. I thank you for our church. I, I thank you for the four years, even though we've been here six years, Lord, so maybe even the six years, Lord, that you've given us, even though the first few years were really hard, even though this last 18 months was really, really difficult, even more so than the first few years. The one thing that has been consistent through all this, Lord, is you've been faithful. I am an imperfect pastor. I have made mistakes along the way. I have done things the wrong way. There were better ways and I didn't take it. There were other things I could have done I didn't do. Things I said I shouldn't have said. And yet in the midst of all of it, God, the testimony repeatedly is that this is your church. You are doing the work. And Lord, I think sometimes we go weary just wondering, does any of this matter or is anything going on? Are we really doing anything? And yet there's testimonies in this room of people. If I could just give them the mic right now and say, anyone have a word, they would stand up and talk about what this church has meant to them. And there are people who've left and gone to other places that look back. And, and Lord, I don't think we realize that in, as we're 50, 60 people here this morning and, and our membership has been cut in half over the last year. We're going, what is going on? And we look around and God, are you even doing anything? We forget that in the four years that we've been here, there have been over about 100 members who are no longer with us that are out still serving Jesus. 
We have impact beyond just what we see in this room, and we thank you for that, God. And may we not take off uh, the brakes now, or we not tap the brakes now, but to press harder, God, into the gas and go, okay, let's, let's keep going, let's keep pressing in. And so help us this morning, God, as we listen to your word, as we receive it, to be moved by it, to be transformed by it, to, to renew our commitment to one another even. So that in the next four years, another hundred or so might be raised up and developed and sent out with a greater passion for the gospel, a greater understanding of why the local church matters, a greater passion for their jobs and their careers to see how it belongs to kingdom advancement. You'd be honored in all of it, Lord. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We are going to be in Mark chapter 12 this morning. Tyler just read it. So uh, if you have your Bibles uh, or your Bible app or whatever, you can turn there. We're going to start in verse 28. Um, And so here's the thing about uh, this text. Um, When we've done our anniversary sermon, so this is the one Sunday. So we're actually in a series through 1 Corinthians. And we've been going through this. Actually, we're going to go through this whole year. And so we're going to pick that back up again next week. Um, And next week, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about head coverings. So everyone get excited about that and pray for your pastor. I already wrote the sermon and I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't know, I don't wanna do it. I was normally give that stuff to Tyler and Kevin because it's hard, but somehow it landed on me and I'm gonna have to preach that. But, so come back next week if you like controversy and you hate people. So just come on, it's gonna be good. But what I do on the anniversary Sundays is I try to paint a picture for, hey, like over this next year, like here's where we want to go. Here's where we want to grow. So our very first one was why Redeemer? Why does Redeemer exist? Uh, That was followed up by a a two-part kind of two-week series called Deep and Wide. How do we go deeper with the Lord? How do we go wider with the gospel? Uh, And then a couple years ago, we did a a one through uh, called Broken. Uh, where we were looking at Psalm 51 and what does it mean to be a broken people, uh, that God does not deny the brokenness of us, so we don't need to be put together whole people before we come to Jesus. What does it look like to be broken and to to look to him and trust him? Uh, And then last year, we met outside at Couch Park uh, as the pandemic was was growing and everything else, and we met out at Couch Park and we talked through John 13, uh, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so basically what's gonna happen in this fourth anniversary text is I'm going to kind of pull together uh, really from all those. And, and here's one of the things I, I'm saying this for, especially if you're new, uh, because you don't know this about us, but if you've been a member here for a while, there is not, you're not going to hear really a lot of new information this morning. We have been wildly consistent with what we've preached here from the time we began. We haven't changed. We're not wavering. We're not moving here. In fact, I went back and re-listened to the sermon before we went to Sunday morning which is, is the same text that I'm going through right now. So if you want to go back and listen to August 13th, 2017, before we launched Sunday morning, became a, you know, the, our, our birthday or whatever, go back and listen to it. That's fine. The statement that I read on there at the very beginning is a response, as a redeemer, our response to alt-right, white nationalism, and white supremacy. That's not how you win friends in Stillwater, Oklahoma. We have been wildly consistent about the gospel and what it means for us as the church. And what I'm going to teach this morning, I'm going to reference a lot of sermon series that we've done to say, hey, if you want to know more about this, we preach on this. Go listen to this. Hey, we preach on this. Go listen to this. And I'm setting that up for you because I don't want you to be confused while we're doing this. I'm doing that by design because I want to help us see that the gospel message doesn't change. It changes us, but it itself doesn't change. 
And there's a fullness to that gospel message that we need to know and understand. And that's what I hope to address this morning. One of the other reasons that I'm doing this one is because <clears throat> I've, I've kind of heard, like, you would think as a pastor, I would have a lot of people that come and talk to me directly and tell me about struggles they're going through, whatever, or that they talk to Kevin or Tyler. It's mostly like third and fourth hand sources that we hear things. Every once in a while, we'll hear direct from some folks, right? Like, hey, I'm really struggling right now. But here's what we keep hearing. As a lot of people right now are kind of just tapped out. This isn't just true at Redeemer. There are churches across this country, this state especially, even this city, that are struggling to get people just to volunteer to serve on Sunday, one day a week. They can't get them to do it. There's a church I know in Oklahoma City that went from like 300 volunteers at their church, whatever it was, to they're like down to 30. People are worn out. People are spent. People are done with the pandemic. They're done with everything. There's a, a growing swell of apathy. There's, there's this real desire for people to like just check out, let, give me Netflix or Amazon Prime or something else. Ted Lasso comes on once a week. Man, why don't they just release them all so we can all binge watch it, right? But we're like, okay, once a week, Ted Lasso. We'll do Ted Lasso once a week uh, and whatever else that we're all doing. But here's the thing is, is we're not, like we've forgotten our first love, We don't read our Bibles, we don't pray, we don't serve. We're just kind of done. That's not true of everybody, I know that. But that's where a lot of us are. And, and listen, I'm not here to drop the hammer on you this morning. My hope is that you're encouraged and challenged in the Lord this morning and stirred on to what we're called to here. So let me just read. Let me, let me set the stage real quick. So, because it's going to help us understand. Right before Jesus says these things, he is talking to the Sadducees, right? And the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. So they're asking Jesus all about the resurrection. And so he confronts them and tells them about how there is a resurrection and all this other stuff, right? And there's not going to be marriage at the resurrection. So if you've made marriage an idol, uh, the new heavens and the new earth kind of tell you how dumb that is because... There's not going to be marriage in the new earth. So no one's going to be given to marriage. We're all going to be single. So deal with it. But here's the thing. He gets done. And look what it says in verse 20. One of the scribes, it says, came up and heard them disputing with one another. Okay, so this, this is a scribe. Now he's of the Pharisees. Now here's what you need to understand about the Pharisees. The Pharisees and Sadducees don't agree on everything. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do. So what he just saw Jesus doing, because it says he comes up and he sees them disputing with one another. So he's just kind of listening and like, oh, let's see if Jesus owns the libs. I mean, the Sadducees. And he does. He owns them. He get, oh, man, get them, Jesus. That's right. Take that, Sadducee. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got a question for this guy. Look what he says. And seeing that he answered them well, that qualifier is kind of important, right? Oh, this guy's kind of smart. All right. So he asked Jesus this, look at this, which commandment is the most important of all? Now you need to understand what he's saying here, okay? Some will tell you what's the greatest commandment or what. That word is not importance in order, right? He's not saying Jesus. What's the first commandment? What's the second? What's the third? What's the fourth? What's the fifth? Like what's the order of most important? That's not what he's saying. He's also not saying, hey, what are the commandments of the ones like we really need to obey? And what are the ones that are like, come on, like if we don't, we don't, we do, we do, whatever. 
He's not saying that either. What he is saying, and this was a hotly debated topic amongst the Pharisees, Sadducees, everything else, was what is the weightiest commandment in the scriptures? Like what's the one that kind of like absorbs them all? Like what, what, which command holds the most weight? That's what he means when he's saying, what's the most important? What's the greatest? When you see that word greatest, think weight, not who's the most powerful or the best at this sport or whatever. Which one holds the most weight? So Jesus answers, verse 29. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these, weightier than these. Now, I want to stop and take us on a journey real quick. Okay, we're going to come back to this. We're going to pause here. I'm going to be bouncing around a different text. You can bounce around with me if you want. I would encourage you just to write them down and go back and check these things, right? Go back and read this for yourself. Put it to the test. See if the word of God is truly saying these things. But I want to stop here for a second, okay? Jesus just said the two weightiest commandments, there's none greater than these, are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, all right? So let's keep that in mind. We're going to go on a journey here. We're going to go to Matthew 28, 18 through 21st. We get the Great Commission. Everybody's heard the Great Commission, right? I could ask you right now, and some of you can quote the Great Commission to me. Therefore, all authority in heaven and earth has been given, or all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Okay, that's what the Great Commission is. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now, when we study that, what we study from Jesus is that his final parting words to the church, to these apostles who are going to start the church, is that all authority in heaven has been given to me. So here's what you're commanded to do. Here's what I'm sending and mandating you out to do. Go make disciples of all nations. That's ethnic groups. Pontata ethne. That's what that means. People groups. Not nation states. Not every country on the planet. Every ethnic group on the planet. Okay, we talk about this all the time. There are thousands, there are over 17,000 different ethnic, ethno-linguistic people groups on the planet today. He's talking about discipling those nations, those people groups, okay? So when he says make disciples of the nations, he is not talking about a monolithic approach to anything. He's talking about an, eth an ethnically diverse approach to making disciples of all the nations. And here's what we're doing. We're baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we're teaching them, listen, because this is crucial that we understand discipleship comes around these two things, baptizing them and teaching them not the commands, but to obey the commands. Let me say that again, because I'm not sure everybody heard me on that one. He is not saying, teach them what the commands are. He's saying, teach them to obey the commands. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It's one who's obedient to Christ. But how are we going to obey him, right? right so let's, let's go back a little further in time. We're going to go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Everybody loves Ecclesiastes. Go listen to our sermon series on Ecclesiastes from uh, spring of 2018, okay? Or was that 2019? Spring 2019. Go listen to our Ecclesiastes sermon series but at the end, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, I wrote a blog post on this this last week. 
But here's what he writes, okay? Solomon writes and says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. All right, here comes Solomon's mic drop moment. You ready? End of the matter, all has been heard. Here's how he sums it up. This is the duty of of man, that you fear God and obey his commands. Now, you grew up, my guess, if you went to church, hearing that Christianity is not a works-based religion. Anybody heard that? Please tell me somebody has heard that. I see some head nods. We'll take that too. I don't need hands all the time. All right, I see some. It's not a works-based religion. Why did, it, why did Solomon just tell us that the end game then is to obey? That's works, isn't it? All right, legalistic Solomon, we need to have a word. No, here's what Solomon's saying. That phrase, the whole duty of man, the literal translation is this, whole mankind. You know what he's saying? Solomon's saying, here is what it means to be truly holy human. Not holy as in God is holy, but holy as in whole, perfect, complete. This is what it means to be a true and whole human. What is it, Solomon? That you fear God and you keep his commands. You obey his commands. Now, I want to put that with the Great Commission for a second. Because here, what Solomon is saying is this, that fear God, that revere God, that is not a terror like, oh God, I gotta live in fear of God, I just gotta go do what he told me to do so that you know, they don't, I don't get in trouble at home, whatever, I'm just gonna, that's not what this is. That fear is a reverential fear. That fear is a fear that is rooted in a belief that he is God, he is the creator, he knows what's best, and because he does, I'm gonna submit to him in his ways. And to honor him is to fear him, to glorify him and fear him, that all is the same language. So here's what the end of man is, it's to glorify God and obey his commandments. So when we understand rightly who he is and we believe who he is, it only follows that we would then obey. You have to understand, faith and obedience go together just as unbelief and disobedience go together. When we do not obey God, it is a testimony that we don't believe him. You say, well, I do believe in Jesus. Right. If you believe in Jesus, that's why we still confess sin. And the sin isn't just the action that you committed. It's why did you disobey him? It's because you don't really believe that his ways are right and good. So you confess that, not just I did a bad thing. It's God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just like the disciples prayed. But to be a true, whole human means that you love God, want to fear God, you fear God, you trust God, you want to glorify God and obey his commandments. So when Jesus says, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, it's connected to what it means to be truly, holy human. So do you see what's going on here? Now, here's what's happened. None of us can keep his commands. I say this all the time at our church. What makes the good news really good news is that the bad news is really bad news. Some of us do not appreciate the gospel because you're not convinced of how really wretched and sinful you are. You don't really appreciate. It's like when Jesus, the the woman that comes in and wets his feet and everything, and all the guys are like, oh, if he knew who that woman was, he wouldn't be. And Jesus says, the one who's been forgiven much loves much. Some of you don't know how much you've been forgiven because you actually think you're a little better off than you really are. Like Jesus is just kind of filling in the gaps for you. 
Like if this is perfection, you're right here. You just need this much Jesus, that's all. So you don't really love him that much because you've kind of done a pretty good job yourself. What the Bible's gonna teach us is that you can't keep his commands. We have a big problem, don't we? If what it means to be truly holy human is to fear God and obey his commands, to glorify God and obey his commands, then what does it mean for us when we don't obey his commands? It means we're broken, we're set apart, we're, we're, we're separated from him, and we do not have this reconciled relationship with him. We are not whole humans. We're in need of a savior. We're in need of rescue because we can't do this ourselves. Now, this goes back to Genesis, okay? In Genesis chapter one, God creates mankind in his image. And as image bearers of God, we still boast the image of God, but it's corrupt. Go listen to our Imago Day series from January, 2018. We talk all about the Imago Dei, the image of God and what that looks like. But this is what we talk about. We have the image still today, but it's corrupted. It's not lost. That's why people that aren't Christians can still do good things. Because we haven't completely lost the image of God. But it's now corrupt within us. So Adam and Eve sin in the garden. God kicks them out of the garden. And all mankind is now in their line. Meaning we're all sinners and rebellious sinners just like Adam and Eve. But here's what happens over time. Go read the scriptures. I don't need anything outside of the Bible to tell me this. I'm going to tell you straight up. Go read the Bible. What happens is a bunch of individuals that start having kids together and have some relation form a thing called a people, a community, right? Or a tribe or a clan, you might see, or a nation sometimes in the Bible. What ends up happening in there, because of our rebellion against God, because we don't obey God, whole peoples oppress and attack and dominate other peoples. That has gone on throughout history from the beginning. It's gone on individually with Cain and Abel, and then it gone on with peoples where we had Egypt and capturing all of Israel and enslaving them. Babylon, right? You've heard of Babylon? Babylon was one of the worst empires that has ever existed in history. The reason you read so much about Babylon in the Old and the New Testament is because Babylon is the name given for any empire that dominates the world. Go listen to our Habakkuk series from June 2020. What you're gonna find is that countries like Russia and China and even America are Babylon. <gasps> Why? Because we're a corrupt, sinful people that are seeking to fill the earth with our image, with our glory, with our way of life, with our everything. That is exactly what the rebellion of Genesis 3 was. We do it individually and we do it corporately. The Bible knows no difference. Why am I bringing all this up? Because if we're going to be truly holy human, we need to understand that Jesus isn't just interested in you becoming truly holy human by yourself. But us together becoming truly holy, this new humanity, as he talks about in Ephesians chapter two, you can go listen to our Ephesians series from 2016 before we even really launched anything. This is what it means to be true, whole human. So we fear God and we keep his commands. And so Satan has launched a counter kingdom in the world to God's kingdom. He is using what God has created and he's manipulating it and exploiting it for his gain. 
This is why nations rage against nations. This is why individuals rage against individuals. Because Satan is using what God has given us and he's using it against God himself. It's a counterattack to what God, God's original good design was. And we're broken and we're lost and we're in desperate need of rescue. You can go listen to our series on James from last fall, fall 2020. As James deals with what it means to be whole. And it's basically like a retelling of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to go listen to our sermon series on that, go to spring 2018 and listen to our Sermon on the Mount. Now, Israel's an interesting people. Because I want to talk to Israel before we get back to what Jesus said here. Israel's a people that God chose from among all the nations. He says, oh, all, the, all the nations are mine. I'm choosing you. Why is he choosing Israel? Israel wasn't great and powerful. Israel was weak. Israel was vulnerable. And this is how our God is, right? He's always chosen what's weak and vulnerable, what's lesser in the world. And you might say, well, that seems to conflict with the way I see Christianity in America. Well, that's not with God's problem. That's Christianity in America's problem. But Israel is an unjust people, an unmerciful people. They are not reflecting the name that they bear. The name of God is this, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. And Israel is not that. Israel's not that. So Israel becomes an unjust people and God says, I'm going to send you into exile. We did a whole series in Lamentations in the spring of 2018. Go listen to the Lamentation series and hear for yourself what happens when God sends an entire people into exile. And hey, let me tell you something about that real quick. Everybody that went into exile in Israel that day, you know what they could all say? Every single one of them could say, well, I didn't do that. I didn't own slaves. I didn't have this. I wasn't unjust. Every one of them. They are sent into exile because of generations before them who refused to acknowledge their injustice and their unrighteousness before God. And this whole people Israel, who's supposed to bear God's name and be his people, are constantly making his name a profane name among the nations. They mock him and they ridicule him. They look at the name of God and they look at Israel and they say, what a joke. Now, what does that have to do with any of this? Jesus answered the scribe. Now listen, this is a scribe. In Matthew account, Matthew 22, it's a teacher of the law. So he's a lawyer. Now, don't hear lawyer like you hear today. Okay, a lawyer in this time was someone who knew like God's word really, really well. Like they were experts in the law, like the biblical law, okay? So for this dude to walk up to Jesus, watch him own the libs or the Sadducees, and then look at him and say, okay, you kind of like, you might be one of us. Hey, I got a question for you. Here's a hotly debated topic. Let's see if you answer this one. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives him two, right? He doesn't just give him one. And there's a reason that Jesus gives him two. And I want to tie this now to our salvation. Because when we hear that word salvation, 
I have to unpack something for you. That word salvation is not what most of us think it is. Most of us think of salvation in terms of what happens after you die. And yes, that is something we we want to talk about, right? The reality is, is that if you trust in Christ, you have eternal life. And what happens after you die is that your spirit goes to be with Christ in the heavens, yes. But Jesus is going to return. He's going to make all things new. And you will be resurrected just as Christ was resurrected and given a glorified body, which we'll see later in 1 Corinthians 15, where you will be on the new earth. That's all true, okay? But if the only purpose of the gospel is to get you saved today to make sure your eternity is secure, what happens in the in-between? Does it really matter? Because the way some people preach the gospel, it doesn't. And the way some people respond to crisis in the world, you would think it doesn't matter at all. All that matters is if I die from COVID, I'm going to heaven. I'm not scared. And they'll quote 1 John 4, which you can go listen to our 1 John series from the fall of 2017. 1 John 4, when it talks about, but perfect love drives out fear. That has nothing to do with the virus. You know what that's talking about? Is that because he loves you, you're not condemned. That's what the fear is. I have no fear. I can stand before him because Christ did it. Not because of a mask. What are we doing? We play games with the Bible and we wonder why God is He's not blessing any of this stuff. Love the Lord our God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We love, we love God. We love God. We love God. We sing about it every single Sunday. But have you ever stopped to consider Amos? Your words are annoying to me. Stop with your lip service. I'm tired of your worship because you're an unjust, unrighteous people. What are we doing? I love you, God. We sing the words, I love you. You're so wonderful. I love what you did for me. But we missed the second greatest command to love your neighbor as yourself. Or maybe we're nailing that one. We think, man, I'm really good at loving my neighbor, but you don't love God, meaning you don't really love your neighbor. Jesus is telling us what it means to be truly holy human. If being truly holy human means to fear God and obey his commands, and Jesus says, go make disciples of the nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, then what Jesus is trying to do for every single one of us and this whole new humanity he calls the church and the kingdom of God, what he's trying to do for all of not trying to do, what he is doing by the Holy Spirit is making you and me truly holy human in him. Because good news, Jesus is the only truly holy human. He was perfect. He never sinned. He never disobeyed God. He wasn't born in the line of Adam. You want to know why? Because he was born of the virgin. You don't think that matters? That absolutely matters. Because Adam couldn't stain him. He wasn't stained with sin. That's why Romans 5 tells us he's the second Adam. What does it mean to be the second Adam? Is that he's just like Adam. He was born without sin. Adam was created. There was no sin. And Jesus without sin conquers all the temptations. He overcomes it all. And what does he do? He gives himself freely as a sacrifice for every single man, woman, and child on this planet. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care if you're a male or female. I don't care what color skin you are. His body was broken for you. If you trust him, his salvation is now yours. And what does that mean? But that his life is now your life. So what you couldn't do before, you can now. How? 
This is why it's so important we understand the Trinity, because the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us so that we can obey the commands. And the two weightiest commands are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me break those words down real quick, because here's the crazy thing. We want to blow through those. Don't do it. Read it again. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, why doesn't he say with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Look at it. He doesn't say that. He says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Is it just because he didn't have Twitter and he had to condense it to 280 characters? So he just thought, oh, I'm going to add more. No. Matthew's writing, or Mark's writing this way because he wants us to see something. You can't just gloss over heart, mind, and soul. He is speaking to the whole person of you loving all of who God is. The heart would be the centerpiece of your entire being. It's the center of your affections. It's the driver for your life. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? How are you stirring your affections for Jesus during the week? What stirs your affections for Jesus during the week? Do you pay any attention to those things? You say, well, I try to read the Bible and it just sees ho-hum, it's ho-hum, it's ho-hum. Okay, but do you really affectionately love Jesus and go, I, I know it's so hum, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna press in. Are you singing worship songs? Does it do you good to go sit at the lake and watch the sunset and just see the beauty of God on display? Does that stir your affections for him? Does a good meal stir your affections for him? Like what is it that's urging your heart to love him more? But then what are the Judas joys? What are the things that are robbing you of loving him more? What is it that you need to own that I love this more than I love you, God? You say, well, I don't feel comfortable saying to God, I love this more than I love you. The reality is, is you already do. He knows it. And he's a big boy and he can handle it. My gosh, the way some people talk about God, I'm like, he is some like weak, petty God. You know, in the Bible, like I did a whole series on when the darkness falls last fall in November. Highly recommend it, especially if you've ever wrestled with depression and anxiety. But it's all about Lament. In Psalm 88, I preached twice last year. I've never preached a text twice in one year. And you go listen, go read Psalm 88, and you'll be like, oh, that makes sense why in 2020 you'd preach that one twice. And I probably need to do it two more times in 2021. It ends with this. Darkness is my only friend. Anthony, could you work up a song for us called Darkness is My Only Friend? I mean, you want to, like, run Redeemer into the ground. Let's sing that every week. Why? What is going on? It's a psalm in the Bible. He can handle it. You did this to me, God. You know, Jeremiah tells God he seduces him. You seduced me into this. You had me go preach this stuff and everybody hates me. And then I got to go into exile with them. If there was ever a person that could be like, my hands are clean, God. Jeremiah could have been it and he went into exile with them. Hmm. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? How about all your soul? That's your life, your, 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 like who you are. Do you love him with who you are? Do you even know who you are? Like we have a new identity in Christ. I'm his. Do you love him with your soul? With who you are? With your mind? Do you love him with all your mind? How are you thinking on things that are praiseworthy and trustworthy and good? Are you filling your mind with conspiracy theories and garbage? Like, are we just turning our minds to mush? 
Are you memorizing the word of God? Are you meditating on the word of God? You're meditating on something. People are always like, well, I don't meditate on anything. Yeah, you do. It literally means to mull over something. You ever like mulled over what you want to do to certain people when they've offended you? That means you're meditating on what you want to do to them. Meditate on the word of God. Meditate on songs. Meditate on prayers. Meditate on his character. Meditate on the Lord. But love the Lord with all your mind. Love the Lord with all your strength. You know what that word strength is? It's not flexing on people. It's not being like, I'm going to go to the gym and love the Lord with all my strength. That's not what that's talking about. That word literally means capabilities. Hello. You love the Lord your God with all your capabilities? What does that mean? It means your resources, your powers, your privileges, your skills, your talents. How are you loving the Lord your God with all your resources, your powers, your privileges? How are you showing that love for God and how you utilize your capabilities? Can I be honest with you real quick? If you're like me and you hear love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, my first thought is that seems way too abstract and way too subjective. You with me on that one? You come up and tell me, man, Brian, you just need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm gonna look at you and be like, what does that look like? Tell me what that looks like. Tell me it's Bible reading. And I'll show you a bunch of people that are legalistic Bible readers. They don't love the Lord, they don't love the Lord their God with all their heart at all. How do I know that? Because Jesus tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures in vain because you think that in them is life and you miss me. You can read your Bible a ton and still miss Jesus. That don't mean you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give me something else, huh? I love the Lord of God because I sing worship songs. So what? They sing them all the time and God says, away with the noise of your songs. Your whitewashed tunes, Jesus says. So what do we do about this, right? We got a little bit of a problem. No, we don't. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yes or no? I can hear you through your mask, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Now I'm gonna ask you, show me in the scriptures how you know that. How do you know that he loved the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Don't answer that, it's rhetorical. Just think about it for a second. Did somebody answer that? Because I'm sorry, I wasn't really trying to call anybody out, but I just, I didn't want to leave that open space for someone to feel like that was their moment. Think about that. Go to the scriptures and to answer that question. Where do you see, where, what evidence do you have that Jesus loved the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Okay, the cross. And what was the cross doing? You ready? Here's how we know. Boy, this is, I hope this messes with you as much as it messed with me. Because of his obedience to the second greatest commandment. Hello. That's what the cross is about. How do we know he loves God? How do we know he loves us? We can't see God. That's what 1 John tells us. 1 John chapter 4. You who claim to love God, but you hate your brother. You're a liar. How can you claim to love God who you can't see and you don't love your brother who you can't see? You're a liar. You're a liar. Think about that. That's what the Bible says about us. I love God, but you don't love your neighbor. You're a liar. You don't love God. 
So what's the connection? The reason Jesus says the second is like it in Matthew, and he says the second one is this, and there's no weightier commandment than this, is because to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, is reflected in your love for your neighbor. Did Jesus love his neighbor as himself? You better say amen if you're part of the redeemed, because he loved you as he loves himself. Let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus, the creator of all things, loves you as he loved himself. And what did he do? His love for God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength caused him to be obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, according to Philippians 2. To submit himself as a servant to God on our behalf. You want to know if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? It's going to be seen in how you love your neighbor as yourself. You can't disconnect the two. You cannot disconnect the two. And you will not be wholly human until those are true in your life. And the reality is, is it's not true. We're not a perfect church. We talk about this all the time. We're looking for progress, not perfection. Are we growing in Christ-likeness? That's why Jesus came. The holisticness of your salvation isn't just to get you to the other side of the, the death thing. No, no. It's to make you live now. It's to help you truly live now. As redeemed, reconciled image bearers, renewed image bearers of Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus took what was ours, died on the cross, and he exchanges it with his righteousness. That word righteousness in the Bible. Anytime you see the word righteousness, it's a two-sided coin. The word could also literally be translated justice. You know what that means? You can't have righteousness without justice, and you can't have justice without righteousness. So if you're the whole righteousness crowd, forget justice, we hate justice, righteousness, it doesn't exist without justice. If you're the whole justice crowd, and justice, 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 and no righteousness, you ain't got no justice without righteousness. If you're the love God crowd with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I love God, I show up on Sundays, I love God, I read my Bible, I love God, I listen to Christian radio, I love God, I only read Christian books, I love God, I love God, I love God, I love God, I love God. but you despise your neighbor, you don't love God. And if you're on the camp that says, I love my neighbor, I love my neighbor, I'm going to do everything, I'm going to go the extra mile, I'm going to do all this stuff, and I don't care where you are, what you believe, where you're at, it's all love, 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 but you don't love God, but you don't care about the gospel, but you don't care about his glory and his holiness and his majesty, you don't love your neighbor. You're a liar. Both are liars. There is nothing weightier than these two commands. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Can we ask some really hard questions of ourselves right now? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? With all your soul? With all your mind, with all your strength, and do you love your neighbor as yourself? The reality is, for everybody in this room, the answer to both of those is no, to a certain extent. But for those of us in Christ, 
It's not all no. As if the Spirit of God has no power in our lives. But there's still areas, can we say amen, right? There's just still areas where, no, I, I don't. Or I didn't today. Or I don't right now. Like some of you are just point blank angry with God. And you're terrified of that because you've been taught your whole life you can't be angry with God. And I'm like, what part of the Bible have you been reading? Because there's plenty of people that are angry with God in the Bible. Why do we act like this is something we can't talk about? Can we talk about that? Yeah, I'm a safe space. Come talk to me. Why won't you fix it, God? Why didn't you heal this one? Why didn't you save that one? Why didn't you do this, God? And it doesn't have to be because you don't believe him. And it doesn't even have to be because you hate him. Sometimes it's just that you don't understand him. How are you doing loving your neighbor? Like, I'm, I'm telling you, the pandemic has probably been one of the easiest ways for the church to show love for neighbor, and we have absolutely failed miserably. Absolutely failed miserably. You can come argue with me about that all you want. We have failed miserably to corporately love our neighbors right now. And we're still doing it. Hasn't stopped. Because somewhere along the way we conflated the gospel with conservatism or whatever else that says my freedoms, my rights, my whatever. You want to know how Jesus showed love for his neighbor? He laid down his life so that you could have life. He inconvenienced himself so that you wouldn't be. So that you could have freedom. So that I could have freedom. And he said, if you want to be one of my disciples, deny yourself take up the cross and follow me. Tyler said this this week and I'm going to pray. I'm going to close with this. He just said, Brian, I don't understand these pastors. And there's a, a thing that I have with a bunch of pastors where I'm reading this stuff that's just mind-blowing to be real honest. And he says, I don't understand why the majority of these pastors are, are always speaking of the majority of peoples and the, well, these people all say a bunch of people, a bunch of my people, a bunch of this, a bunch of this, a bunch of this. And he said, but Jesus, Jesus, all he ever talked about was the least of these. And I've had to just kind of sit with that. And can I just be honest with you as I close out here? Because I'm, I'm going to confess my own lack of love of neighbor. I grew up poor, but I grew up comfortable. And I grew up in churches, every church that I've ever been in has been a very comfortable church experience. Air conditioning, nice chairs, my style of music. I've never had to sacrifice much. When I was at Redeemer Lubbock, there were, out of a church of 1,300 people at that time, there were maybe 50 you know, African-American brothers and sisters there. And I started asking a few of them what it's like to be in this environment. You know what they told me? Every week they show up sacrificing their style of music, their preference to that, their preference to style of preaching, their preference to quite a few things. And they say, but because I believe that the Bible's being preached here, because I believe these are brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm willing to lay those things down in order to be here with this body. 
And over the last five, six years, whatever, I've been on a journey of just listening to other voices. And you know what I'm hearing over and over and over again? Is that we and the majority, and I'm going to say it very clearly, the white church are extremely disconnected from what the Bible would call the least of these. So I want to challenge us this year to let our love for God grow and flourish. Like this is important what we do on Sunday morning. It's to stir our hearts up for Christ, our affections for Christ with one another. That's why we have it bright in here and everything else. I'm not here to make it pitch black so you can have one-on-one time with Jesus. That's what your closet's for. You got that all week. When we get together, we're not here for you. We're here for us. You got to understand, that's why we do this. Us singing together loud, even if your voice stinks, singing together loud is encouraging and building up, especially for the person next to you who just can't utter the words right now because they're just so frustrated and weary and heavy. It's a way we serve one another. But it stirs our affections for Jesus. We, we express our love for God, and then it should be seen in how we love our neighbors throughout the week. It should be seen, yeah, here, how we love our neighbors here right now. Yeah, love one another. But how we love our neighbors throughout the week. This year, could this be something that we just kind of anchor in on and say, you know what? If this is what it means to be truly holy human is to fear God and to keep his commands that Jesus said to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, that he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's not manipulative. That's just reality. When you love him and you trust him and you believe who he is, you're going to submit to him because you understand he's God and you're not. (laughs) And to be a people known in this city as small as we are, as that is a church that loves its city, that loves its neighbors. Can we be that? Look, some of you, maybe you're not a Christian at all. Can you understand Jesus is inviting you this morning to, to be a part of his life, to be made whole in him? That invitation is always open. Man, come talk to me. I'd love to talk through what all that means. And if you're a Christian, there is no condemnation anymore. That's why we, perfect love drove out that fear. You can be honest with God about how you really are right now and where you're really at and what you're really doing and not doing. And before we take communion, I wanna encourage you to do that. Examine yourselves and ask the Lord, is there any offensive way within me? Anything you need to confess and repent of? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, God. We can't do any of this. Not on our own, God. We're terrible at this. We, we are rebellious, sinful people. We are always, as the, the old hymn says, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. We've made a mockery of your name. We have been an abomination to your name. We have been a profanity or a major name profaned among the nations, God, for our behavior, the way we've acted, the things we've done. We do not have a great history in this country as the church and how we've treated native peoples and minorities and black Africans that we brought over here as slaves. We don't have a great history with how we've treated women or how we've treated abuse survivors. We don't have a great history in the church of how we've handled a whole lot of things. And yet, Lord, you still love your bride. And you will discipline us so that we might be made whole in Christ. It grieves your heart, Lord. You're not happy about those things, but Lord, you know us And you sent Jesus to die for us. And every one of our sins were future sins when Jesus died on that cross. And you haven't condemned us, Lord, but you will not leave us where we're at. You will change us. 
And the goal is to bring us in line with your holy will and your holy way. And so, Lord, we just pray what Jesus taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.